Gospel, chapter 15. We're continuing our studies of the Upper Room Discourse and hearing some of the very last things that Jesus has to say to his disciples. Um, Think if you were about to leave your best friends, what would be the last things that you said to them? These are the last words of Jesus to his disciples before his crucifixion. So, hear with me God's word to us from John chapter 15 and chapter 16. Beginning in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. That is the sin of rejecting Jesus. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the hearing of his word to us this morning. Our Lord and our God, we pause before you as we turn to your word. Lord, it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Father, this is a hard passage for us this morning, but we ask that in your providence by your Spirit that you would open our minds and our hearts to be steadied and be encouraged, to be bold and winsome witnesses for the Lord Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Well, at the, uh, at the U.S. Army Chaplain School, where I went a couple years ago for 90 days of training, they put you through multiple blocks of instruction, different lectures, different briefings, different seminars on what it means to be a soldier, on what it means to be an officer in the Army, and on what it means to do ministry in a military context. And you'll learn how to navigate in the dark with a compass, you learn how to do first aid, 
you learn how to write army memos. You learn how to be an expert on the area of the world in the religious and cultural matters so you can inform the commander about certain things to be aware of, not to do, and things to do. And there's also very hard lectures, very sobering speeches that they give. One in particular is on ministry and mass casualty situations where you've had uh, a disaster or a, um, a battle that takes place or some sort of combat incident where multiple soldiers are brought to the hospital at once. It's confusing. There's chaos. There's death. There's dying all around you. And you are the chaplain and you have to go in and minister to people who might be in their very last moments of life. It's sobering. It's scary. What are you going to do? Are you going to sit back, be afraid, run away? And they tell you these things. They remind you of these things so that you won't run away, that you will minister, and that you will know what to expect. In many ways, the, the upper room discourse is what Jesus is doing from John 13 through John 16 is giving us multiple pieces of instruction, reminders, encouragements about greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. He reminds them that he is the only way, the truth, and the life. He also reminds them that I'm not going to abandon you as orphans, as we saw a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, and that I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. And this week, he says we'll be hated by the world. And that's normal for us as Christians. It's not something we like to think about. It's not something that's very palatable. Uh, it doesn't go down easy uh, in our culture in this day and age. But he says, keep in mind that the world will hate you. And why is he saying this to us today? Why is he saying this to the disciples today? Because he wants them to know that this is normal, that this is going to happen, and so that they will be strengthened, and so that they won't fall away. But rather, they'll be steadied because they'll have the Holy Spirit who will help them. So he's reminding us of these things so that we'll be encouraged, and so that we'll be a bold witness. Well, first let's see this hatred of the world. Why in the world does the world hate us? Well, look with me in verse, um, in verse 18. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me before you. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates us because we are different. First Peter says we are strangers, strangers and aliens. We actually look different. Um, that our countenance is different. You only have to be on a job site or in a classroom or in a social setting for a little while before you realize, um, before people realize that your speech is different. Um, it's kind of a giveaway oftentimes uh, that we treat others differently. That we respond with blessing when we're cursed and gentleness and respect. We look different from the world. We respond differently to adversity. Um, we bear a different family likeness. We look like our Father. We are so different 
than the world. It's like in middle school when um, a friend from another country, another culture, came and sat in the classroom. Maybe, maybe you saw the clothes that they wore, wore the, the way they turned the pages of the book, the things that they said, their accent. Everything about them was totally different. And if you think about it, everything about the way that the Christian lives more and more looks like the Lord and less and less looks like the world. Think about the kingdom ethics in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said by the world and by the Pharisees, one thing, but I say to you, live this way. Just think about what we see on the internet or the TV. How much of it is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? How much of the things that characterize us do we see in this world? We are so different as believers in Christ, and the world is suspicious of that. The world is suspicious of that. But not only does the world hate us because we are conforming to the kingdom rather than the prince of the power of the air, not only just because we're different, because we stand out, um, but the world hates us because the world hated Jesus, the one that we're connected with. And what was it about Jesus that the world hated? Jesus, nice guy, great teacher. Jesus had a lot of things to say to this world that were hard to deal with. Look in, um, look in verse 21. Actually, verse 20, the end of verse 20. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. If they kept my word, which they didn't, um, the world does not like the message that Jesus brings, the message of repentance. Remember in Matthew in Matthew chapter 4, he says, from then on, as Jesus begins his ministry, he's preaching a gospel of repentance. He's preaching a gospel of turn from your sin and turn to me. That's not very palatable. That's not very uh, popular in the world. Because the world thinks, you know, I'm doing just, we're just, we're doing just fine on our own. The world values what Tim Keller mentions, the idols of money, of sex, of power, of doing whatever you please, of doing whatever's right in your eyes. You know, the world values the gospel of I'm okay, you're okay. The world values the gospel of tolerance. But Jesus says, I've come to change everything about who you are, about how you think, and about even how you feel. I've come to do a, a work of mighty transformation in your life. And naturally, the world, naturally, we, before we know God, don't want to submit to that, don't want to give ourselves to that. Nor does the world. Remember in Romans, Romans 8, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit itself to God's law, nor is it able to do so. Naturally, the world doesn't want to hear Jesus' word of come to me. Jesus has come to bring the world freedom, but the world would rather have freedom of being bound to its own desires. The freedom Jesus offers is not do whatever you want. The freedom that Jesus offers is function as you are designed to function by following after me. 
The world doesn't like that because it tramples on its sense of independence, its autonomy, and its ability to do whatever is right in its own eyes. So don't be surprised when you bring the gospel to somebody at work and they turn away from you. Don't be surprised if you're hated for being a Christian. Don't be surprised if you're despised for bringing a word for the Lord Jesus in that environment. Not only did it hate Jesus' words, but the world hated Jesus' works. You remember that the the world, the Pharisees, the people that despised Jesus couldn't stand his works. In John John chapter 9, he reminds us um, that the Pharisees, the Pharisees actually were very skeptical of this healing of the blind man. They asked Jesus, are we also blind? They had contempt for anything he ever did that was good. They were always seeking to put him down, to demean him. Remember how jealous they were at his triumphal entry. They said, look, the whole world's going after him. We're not gaining anything here. They saw their power. They saw their prestige. They saw everything that they valued, every, every bit of popularity and favor and advancement leaving them and going to Jesus. I don't know if any of you have watched Downton Abbey, but it's, uh, it's been on for quite a bit in our household. Um, we finished season three. Uh, but in season one, there are two characters, three characters uh, in particular, O'Brien and Barrow, who, like the Pharisees, seek to demean and put down Mr. Bates, who is the favored one by Lord Grantham, who's his personal assistant, and even though he's weak, he's favored, he's liked, and Barrow and O'Brien can't stand that because they're losing their popularity and they're losing their power, and so they do seek to do everything they can to get him out of the way, to demean him, to make him look foolish, and to get him fired. The world seeks to do everything it can to get Jesus out of the picture because Jesus works and Jesus' word reveal their need of a Savior. So don't be surprised if the world hates you because you represent Jesus to them. No servant is greater than his master. You know, we go the way of the master in all things. Just as Jesus rose again, so we will rise. Just as Jesus was exalted, we will be exalted. But just as Jesus was despised, so we can expect to be despised because we represent to the world that gospel. We represent the good news. Luke says this elsewhere in Luke 21. He says, they will bring you before the ruling authorities. They'll bring you before the governors. First Peter reminds us that do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes. As if persecution were something strange happening to you. Don't be surprised. This is actually normal Christianity. Now here's a caveat. If you're being hated, make sure that you're being hated because of your witness for Jesus and not because of ungodliness. Peter points this out as well, that you could actually be hated because you're a jerk um, and you do bad things. So examine yourself to see that you're truly being despised 
um, not seeking to be despised because of Jesus, but knowing that when somebody comes at you with undue animosity for something in your life, examine yourself to see that it's because of your faith. And be steady, because remember, Jesus is telling us these things today, and Jesus is telling the disciples these things today to say, this is normal. This is what you can expect. If you're in this world long enough, you will have trouble. But the end of this whole passage, if I can skip ahead to the end of the chapter 16, is take heart, I've overcome the world. You will be persecuted. But take heart, I've overcome the world. It's normal. Well, it's, it's pretty obvious in the rest of the world, isn't it? In places like Asia and Africa where people, people lose their lives, they lose their homes, they lose their families, they're dragged out in the streets, they're disowned. But what's that persecution like in our culture? It's a lot more subtle, isn't it? It's a lot more subtle. Uh, we may not be dragged before the ruling authorities in this country anytime soon. The Bible says don't be surprised if that happens for your faith, though. Jesus is telling us to steady us. But what does that look like? It could be as subtle as when you speak a word about your faith in a religion class in college, getting really um, negative or skeptical looks from your professor or your classmates for what you said about Christ. Um, it could be that you're not invited out to lunch with the rest of the guys because they know that your speech is not like their speech because you seek to please Jesus with your speech. It could be that at work, you're watched like a hawk by the people around you who know that you love Christ and know that you long to serve Him. And so because they want to seek to elevate their life above yours, they're waiting for you to mess up to say, you know, that Jesus guy really isn't working out for you after all. It could be that you're teased by your family at family gatherings. I don't know what it looks like for you. It could be words. It could be actions. But it will happen. It will happen if you're a Christian. And the point, the first point is you will be hated, but don't be surprised. This is normal. Don't be afraid. Don't run away. Remember Jesus at the, the end of this... Um, sort of the end of this idea is I've said these things to you in verse 16 so that to keep you from falling away. Isn't it interesting, though, that after this episode in, in 18, 19, we see the disciples all running away? But they don't ultimately, do they? Jesus is saying, don't fall away. Don't be afraid. I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to abandon you. There's going to be new and scary things that happen, but don't be afraid. Everything's going to be okay. It's like when you got dropped off at school on that first day of kindergarten and your parent is sitting down with you and saying, look, little Johnny, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. You're going to make new friends. You're going to learn new things. But don't be surprised if you get picked on by bullies. Um, know that, that I'm just a phone call away. And that I will help you. I will come, and I will defend you. Well, how does Jesus help us? How does Jesus help us in the middle of persecution? Yeah, it's going to come, but how do we respond if we're hated by the world? Well, we respond, secondly, with the witness of the Holy Spirit. We're hated by the world, but we're helped 
by the Holy Spirit. And how does the Holy Spirit witness? Three things. This will step into Phil's territory next week, but that's okay. We'll just be prompted and ready to go. Three things that the Holy Spirit does in bearing witness. This comes from a commentary by James Boyce. The Holy Spirit helps us to comprehend the Word. 2 Corinthians reminds us that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And we need to remember that we were all at one, all at one point just like the rest of the world, not understanding the Word, not understanding our need of Christ, uh, and in that humility to love those around us who persecute us. But the Holy Spirit helps us to understand the Word. It says in 1 Corinthians that spiritual things are spiritually discerned and mankind doesn't naturally receive the things of God. So he helps us to understand that we, we have something to do with this Word, that this Word has something to do with our life. And what it has to do with our life is the second thing the Holy Spirit does in His witness for us is convicts us of the Word, convicts us of sin. He shows us John chapter 3, verse 16, really has meaning for our life, that we really are perishing. That we really are lost and going to hell without Jesus. But the other half of that verse is so that we should not perish and go to hell for all eternity, but that we'd have everlasting life. So the Holy Spirit not only helps the non-believer comprehend the word, convicts them of the word, and helps them commit to the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit is powerful. That's part of the point here. The Holy Spirit is far more powerful than we give him credit for. Um, You remember how Phil referred to our tendency to think of the Holy Spirit as an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is with you. And the Holy Spirit is working to to help people comprehend, to help people see uh, their sin, to be convicted of sin, but also to make a commitment to the Lord Jesus. As Paul is on one of his missionary journeys, he comes to this lady named Lydia, and he's preaching the word. You may be witnessing uh, to your friend at school. You may be witnessing to a coworker. You may be speaking up for the Lord Jesus. In some context, know that the Lord opens hearts just as he opened this woman Lydia's heart. He can even open the heart of your persecutor. It's powerful. But he doesn't bear witness alone. He bears witness through us. He bears witness through us. The Holy Spirit bears witness. But look down here. Look down here at verse 26 and then 27. And you also will bear witness. The Holy Spirit bears witness, and we will bear witness. It says in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses, um, and you uh, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to bear witness. A paradigm for this sermon is actually Acts chapter 7. What's going on in Acts chapter 7? You remember Stephen? Stephen telling the Pharisees in the temple about how they'd missed Jesus through the whole Bible. And he's standing up boldly as a lion proclaiming Jesus' name. I wonder, I wonder if Stephen had been a lion before that. Um, 
The point is that the Holy Spirit gave him the power to bear witness faithfully. And you remember that he was killed. He faced the ultimate persecution. But the point is that the Holy Spirit spoke through him with such great power. And he speaks through us with such great power, even to those who hate us, even to those who persecute us. What does this look like for us? What does this look like in, in our week? Um, maybe it's, maybe it's um, when that skeptic at work comes to you with topics of faith. Maybe instead of just speaking about it academically, you actually speak to them and say, you know, this is what Jesus has done for me. And he can do this for you. Knowing that the Holy Spirit is faithful to either plant a seed or to convert that person if he so chooses by God's grace. Maybe there's somebody at work who hates the Lord Jesus or somebody at school or wherever you find yourself, but they're having trouble at home with a relationship and they know that they can talk to you about it so they confide in you. They don't want to have anything to do with your Jesus, but they confide in you about the issue. They feel abandoned. They feel alone. You can simply say to them, I know one who will never leave you or forsake you. Maybe somebody at your academic institution is giving you a hard time in a a classroom setting. Maybe it's a, a professor who puts down Christianity. In the words of Luke 21, it will drag you before the authorities and the rulers you know, a professor or somebody who claims to be an authority on truth. The other part of that passage there in verse 13 is that this is your opportunity to bear witness. We not only need to see persecution as normal, but we need to see these opportunities that come along as divinely appointed encounters to speak a a word for the Lord Jesus. Um that God's with you, if this is your stage to either love them out of the love that Christ has loved you with, as Phil challenged us last week, or simply speak a good word for Christ, that this is your opportunity, that nothing strange is going on here, but this moment where you face opposition to your faith, whatever that looks like, is actually a divinely appointed and orchestrated moment for you to stand for the Lord Jesus. How do we stand for the Lord Jesus? Not in anger, not in resentment, not in putting the other person down, but in gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. You can be as bold as a lion and as gentle as a lamb at the same time. So we bear witness in the power that he supplies. Again, why is he telling us these things? Why tell us that the world's going to hate us? If you look like Jesus and you resemble Jesus to somebody, you will be the aroma of life to some, but you'll also be the aroma of death. Because your life is calling them to a changed life. And naturally, we don't want to give up control. So Jesus is saying to us that that animosity, that resistance to that message of the gospel of turning from our sin and turning to the Savior is going to be resisted. 
And he's encouraging us. He's saying, I've said these things to you, verse 4 of chapter 16, so that we, when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I've said these things to you so that you'll stand fast, so that you won't be afraid, so that you won't run away, but that you'll faithfully bear witness to the truth. Don't be afraid. This is the opportunity that the Lord's given you to stand for Him uh, and to love somebody towards Him. I mean, think, if He can convert the Apostle Paul from the worst persecutor of the entire church into the greatest evangelist of all time, can He not handle those who give you a hard time for loving the Lord Jesus? He can, and He will. And so He's reminding us that this is normal, even if they be put in prison, even if we go to prison for the Father's name, for Jesus' name, that that's an opportunity to bear witness. Remember Paul in Philippians? That's the letter of joy. Where was Paul during the letter of joy? Paul was in a jail awaiting his sentence of execution. And he is overflowing with joy. Why? Because he has the opportunity now. He's been strategically placed by God to witness to his persecutors. Who are his persecutors? Caesar's household. He's, he's been placed strategically to witness to Caesar's household in prison. So he knows that he can say, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by my life or my death. Where have you strategically been placed in this dark world? Our challenge last week was to think of the person that's hardest to love. Remember how Phil challenges from John 15? And then love them out of the reserve that God supplies. The challenge this week is, can, is think of that person in your life who gives you a hard time for loving the Lord Jesus and conspire in your heart and mind for ways to win them over to Christ in words and in deeds. Knowing that the Holy Spirit is powerful. He's far more powerful than the rebellion of this world. If he can change the Apostle Paul, he can change us, and he can change those who give us a hard time. So again, this verse is a reminder, this passage is a reminder to keep us from falling away, to encourage us that though persecution will come, we will be helped by the Holy Spirit who is powerful. Live in that power this week. Don't be afraid to be bold for the Lord Jesus. Whatever that looks like in your sphere. Do it with gentleness and respect, knowing that you are blessed when you are persecuted, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word that challenges us. These are hard sayings. We know that we'll be hated for your gospel, and that sometimes gives us fear, because we we admit, Lord, we confess that we more often fear man than reverence and love you. Lord, help us to know that you are powerful in the middle of persecution or hatred or animosity to bear witness to the glory of Jesus Christ by your Holy Spirit. Help us to remember that when we go out from this place today, we walk by the Spirit, in the Spirit, empowered by him. Let that give us boldness and let that increase our love for a lost and dying world so that all men may know that we are your disciples and that you are the way, the truth, and the life.
Amen.